in Psalm 5 tonight. One of the issues that separates, one of the issues separating Christianity from pretty much all other religions in the world is the idea of an intimate personal relationship with our God. Right, so take prayer as an example, because we're going to talk about prayer tonight in, in Psalm 5. Most all religions pray in, in one way or another, but why they pray is different, really, in other religions than it is in Christianity. In most religions, praying is an act of obedience. Uh, it, it really doesn't build any sort of relationship with their God. It really does not communicate. It's not time of communicating and, and connecting with their God. It in many of them, they really don't even see it as something that alters things. Like it doesn't change things. It's just an act of obedience. You're supposed to pray five times away, five times a day, facing a certain direction, or you're supposed to do it. And so you you check your box, and then you you kind of go on. It's just a religious ritual that has no real impact on anything other than appeasing their God and maybe currying favor with Him because you've checked all of your religious boxes. Now, most religions cannot grasp the concept of a God who is both high and holy and real and personal. Right? So you look at some of the world religions and their gods are, some are high and holy, far above humanity. But those gods have almost zero concern for the people who worship them. Then there are gods who are a little more personable, a little more lower and interacting with people, but they, they really aren't all that holy. They really aren't all that great. And what Christianity proposes is a God who is high and holy, separate and different from us, but also a God who condescends to come down to the lowly and care about what's going on in our lives. So this makes prayer something really very important when we pray. It is very significant. It is not a religious duty. We are not appeasing our God so He does not smite us. We are, in a very real way, spending time with our God. And we'll see this idea over and over again because the Psalms, probably more than any other book, Picture the idea of prayer connecting us with God. Prayer drawing us into His presence. Prayer enabling us to just be with our God. So open your Bible to Psalm 5. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, should be page 416. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before me. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongues. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee 
rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor will thou compass him as with a shield. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We are thankful for a God who is great and awesome, high and holy, and a God who cares about what's going on in our life, who has who does come down and is a part of all that's going on, that invites us to cast our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. Tonight as we look at this passage, let Your Holy Spirit come and take it and make it living and active in our hearts and our lives. Stir us to be a people of prayer, who pray for the right reasons and the right ways, that pray to meet with You, O oh God. We, we need You in our lives far more than we need anything else. We need You. So stir our hearts to be a people of prayer. Stir our hearts to seek you. Uh, And and Lord, give us mercy that we would find you. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Make us able to go out and be lights that shine brightly in a dark and just a dying world. Fill me tonight with your spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to say what you once said, Father. Nothing more, nothing less. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now the emphasis of this psalm to me was on David's relationship with God. Verse 1 through 3, David is going to spend time with God. Verses 4 through 6, while David talks about others who are sinful, he is going to be careful. He does not go about his life in any way that would hinder his relationship with God. 7 and 8, he seeks God uh, because there are enemies, but he knows God has the right way to go. And then verse 11 and 12, he rejoices in God. Right, so his relationship with God is the priority of his life, so he prays. Right, this entire psalm is a prayer. Right, Notice he is talking to God throughout the entire psalm. And the one lesson, there's so much in this psalm we could cover, but the one lesson I really want us to focus on tonight is the purpose of prayer is not primarily to get something from God, but to be with God. Right, the, the purpose of prayer is not so much to get something from God, but to be with God. Now, this could be a a shift in our mindset that has to occur. It was for me. When I first started praying, I knew when I first really committed my life to Christ, I knew I was supposed to pray. But I assumed prayer was just going to God, giving Him this laundry list of things I I wanted him or needed him to do. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. It wasn't selfish. I wasn't saying, you know, give me a new Mercedes and make me famous or anything like that. It was real things I was praying for, things that were important, things that I really felt needed to happen. But as I've grown in my relationship with God, what I've partly what I've began to realize is there is more to prayer than just going to God and saying, give me, do this and do that. I mean, you think about like Jesus is a great example. In the Gospels, Jesus often went out and prayed all night to God. What are the odds? Jesus went out and prayed all night to God and spent all night saying, Give me this, take care of that, fix that, do this. There was more, right? I mean, you would would imagine there was more to his prayer than just do this, fix this, act in this way. And so it is with us. There is more to prayer than just going to God and saying, do this for me. There is going to God to be with God, to focus on God, to cultivate our relationship with God, to grow closer to God. I mean, if we thought 
like David thought here, and that's what David seems to think here, his primary purpose is to, to be with God. Uh, and we thought of prayer as spending time with God more than just getting stuff with God. What would we do? How would we act? Well, one, we would spend time with God daily. Right? We would spend time with God daily. Notice in verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken to the voice of my cry. David starts off as he does in other psalms with earnestly calling out to God, crying out for God to hear his prayer. Now this isn't a, a lack of faith on David's part as I mentioned in Psalm 4. Instead there is a sense of urgency. He needs God. He wants God. right? And so it demonstrates this earnestness, this fervency and urgency in his prayer. Uh, and in fact the word translated as meditation in the King James Bible give heed or give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation, it very literally means groaning. Right? So it, it pictures David groaning, so burdened, so broken, so desiring of God. He's, he's almost like laying face down weeping as he cries out to the Lord. Uh, and as he does, it sort of comes out in groans and sobs. This idea is carried over to the first part of verse 2, where he asks for God to hear the voice of his cry. Now, crying here isn't so much like weeping crying, but again, more like shouting. The urgency of David's situation, his desire for God is such that it has led him to a place where he is basically shouting to the Lord in prayer. He is fervent, he is passionate, he is crying out to God. Right? David is probably not terribly eloquent in this. Instead, he is pouring out his heart, pouring out his soul, groaning, shouting, hollering, crying out to his God uh, and that really is kind of the key, because notice what he goes on to say. My king and my God. Right? This is why he's going to God. He is, he is my king. He is my God. It is very personal in David's life. David is not in this moment fulfilling a religious duty. He is not checking a box. God is not a stranger to David. David is not a stranger to Yahweh. David is... Crying out to him. He is seeking him because he knows. He knows God and he knows God knows him. He knows he is a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that is the God he is praying to. That is the God who hears his prayers. And so he says, unto thee I will pray. You are my King. You are my God. And because of that I will pray unto you. And really the idea is I will pray unto you alone. I'm not going to call out to the bells. I'm not going to worship Moloch. I'm going to go to you, God. You and you alone are the only God I'm going to cry out to. My hope is in you. My trust is in you. You are my all in all. And so I am going to pray as long as I have breath unto you. Now he says, I will do it in the morning. Right? He carries this idea, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O oh Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee. And this is a, it's not in like tomorrow morning isn't the picture. Well, tomorrow morning I'm going to, but then I'm going to move on because every day is different. What he's saying is in the mornings, every morning, you can write it down, God. I'm going to be up, I'm going to be here, and I am going to be crying out to You. You will hear me every morning. Praying to you. You will hear me every morning calling upon you. You will hear me every morning crying to you. Every morning. 
And he noticed, he says, I will direct my prayer unto thee. And the, and the word direct is an interesting word picture. Uh, it pictures an archer stringing a bow, taking aim, and shooting. And so what he's saying is it's just a focus on God. In this moment, in this time, in the mornings, when David gets up and when he arises and when he's there, he is focused on God. Right? He is going to, to lay aside every other thing, everything else that's going on, all of the other duties of the day, and in this moment... He is going to direct at God. He is going to be focused on God. He's going to be thinking about God. He's going to be praying to God. He's not going to put on a record of his morning prayer. Dear Lord, guide me as I go through my day. Help me to have wisdom and decisions I make. Uh, keep me protected in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? He's not going to pray a record and go on. He is going to be focused and directed on God. And as he prays, he has confidence. I will direct my prayer unto thee and will I Look up. To me, this is a almost a picture of like what Elijah did, Mount Carmel. Right? Elijah piles the altar up, he pours water on it, he prays unto God, and then he you kind of picture him stepping back because he fully believes fire is going to fall from the sky and consume the sacrifice. David has that kind of confidence in his God. God hears, God acts, God does, God is there, God is involved. It's not a, a routine. God is really there, God is really involved, God really cares in His life. God can do anything and God will work in my situation. Now, there's a lot in these three verses we could focus on, but there are two really aspects about prayer from these, two, these three verses I want to focus on tonight. First is David's commitment to spend time with God in prayer every day. David's time with God was not time on the run. It wasn't David didn't hit snooze three or four times and then pray on the ten minute drive to work. David made a point to get up early and to focus his time with God. Now David was a king. He was a busy man with a lot to do every single day. David knew spending time with God would not just pop into his schedule. He knew that if he did not plan it and schedule it and say at this time I'm going to spend this time with God, that the rest of his day it would not be there. He prioritized it, he scheduled it, and he made it a focus and a priority in his life. Second is the picture of this time of prayer being focused. But David did not try to pray while he browsed social media. David did not try to pray while he was texting someone else. David did not try to pray while he was handling kingly business that went on through his time. Instead, David was focused on God. He was focused on the fact God is real. God is personal. God heard his prayers. God listened when David prayed. And so David would give God all of his attention. And he treated this time as though God were really there in that moment. Now, these two aspects, I believe, are very critical if we're going to see prayer as spending time with God. If our Time in prayer, spending time with God is going to be powerful and transformative in our lives. These two issues must be a focus in our life. 
We must set aside time with God. And we must focus on God. Now, there are who knows how many ways you can do this. Here's what I do. This isn't law. This isn't the way it has to be done. This is what I do. So my spending time with God is not a religious ritual. It is not just something I do. Because it can be that for anyone. And that that is one of the dangers of having a, a routine is anything that is a routine can become routine and we do it mindlessly and without really thinking about it. So here's what I do to help me. First, I have a consistent time I pray. Like David, mine is in the morning. I get up at roughly the same times every day. I have two places I pray. I pray either at the kitchen table at the house or I come to the church and pray in my office in the mornings. Uh, I set the time, I set the place, and I treat it like an appointment. Right? I don't typically kneel while I pray. I sit at the kitchen table or I sit at my desk. I drink coffee while I pray. In fact, I refer to my morning prayer time as coffee with Jesus. Right? And, I, and I treat it like an appointment I would have with anyone. So what I do is I get up, I brush my teeth, I change out of whatever I slept in. Typically, I put on sweats, um, but I change out of whatever I slept in. Uh, Why? Well, because if I made an appointment with you early in the morning, I would do you the courtesy of brushing my teeth before we visited face-to-face, and I would not greet you in my pajamas. And when I pray, I have my Bible, I have my prayer journal, and I have my coffee. I have nothing else. I don't get my computer out of my bag. I put my phone on do not disturb. I turn it face down so I don't see or get any notifications. Why? Well, because again, if I scheduled a time with you here at the church, come here at three in the afternoon and come see me. If you came in, here's what I would do. I would shut the lid on my on my computer. I would set my phone on do not disturb. I would turn it upside down so you would have my undivided attention. I wouldn't be getting beeps and bops and notifications from anything else. You would be my focus in that time. And so I I do everything I can to treat my time with Jesus with the same respect I treat any time with you. Because Jesus is as real as you are. Now you don't have to do what I do to spend time with Jesus. Perhaps you're not a morning person. That's fine. There is nothing particularly sanctified about the mornings. The Bible often speaks about people rising in the morning to meet with God in prayer. But the Bible also speaks of people praying at mid-afternoon and at late night. Right. So when is the best time for you to pray? If you're a morning person, then by all means, make a point to get up on time every day so you can have that focused time with Jesus. Are you a person that mid-afternoon would be the best time for you? The kids are gone. The house is empty. It's a time where you can be quiet before the Lord. Then by all means, at mid-afternoon, shut everything down and have your time with Jesus. Are you a late night person? Then at night, be sure to turn the TV off in plenty of time. So you can shut your computer off, you can turn the computer, the TV off, you can silence your phone, and you can have that time with Jesus. The time of day doesn't matter. 
It's what we're doing in that time that matters. So we are focused on spending time with Jesus. And once you have set your time, and set a time, because we're all busy. I mean, that's just, the world is busy. I, I was talking to somebody last year, and he said, I'm busy. And I said, I am too. And he said, I think it'll slow down when the kids graduate. And I said, it doesn't. It never slows down. I said, it doesn't slow down until you die. And he said, well, maybe like when you're dying and on hospice. I said, I'm a hospice chaplain. When you go on hospice, everybody within driving distance comes to see you. Your last days are busy. So you're busy until you die. That, that's life. And so the time to be spend with Jesus is never just going to come. You're going to have to schedule it. You're going to have to plan it. You're going to have to say, at this time, I'm going to focus on being with Jesus. And then when you fix that time... Do whatever you have to do to ensure you treat that time as though you were spending this time with a real person who is really there with you. A real person you love. A real person who loves you. A real person who wants to cultivate a deep and intimate relationship with you. And who cares about the issues going on in your life. Prayer is... The purpose of prayer is not primarily to get things from God, but to be with God. So make it a priority to spend time with God daily. Secondly, guard our lives carefully. David switches in verse 4. For God, thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. He goes on, talks about the foolish will not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and the deceitful man. Right? So God is not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. Now, this should be pretty obvious to those of us who have any sort of Bible knowledge at all. We know our God is holy. And a holy God is never pleased by any sort of sin. Now, well, that's pretty basic stuff. I, I know we all know that. Here's what I think we can miss. While God is not pleased with the sin out there, God is no more pleased by the sin in here. Your sin and my sin is no less displeasing to God than the sin of any other human walking the face of the earth, whether those people reject God or hate God. God does not look down at us in our sin and is okay with it. Your sin and my sin is every bit as displeasing to God as anyone else's sin. The sin of a disciple of Jesus is no less grievous and serious in the eye of God than that of an unbeliever. In fact, I, I would make the case if we had time, the sin of a believer is worse. Because the sin of a believer is a sin against love. We love God and we know God loves us. And we have chosen to do what we know He hates. We have chosen to act in ways we know grieves His heart. That, I believe, is far more serious than the sin of someone who does not know God loves them. Who does not know how God feels about sin. Our knowledge makes us more accountable. To whom much is given, much is required. 
So God takes no pleasure in sin no matter where he finds it. David expounds upon this idea a bit in the last of verse 4. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. I think there are two ideas about evil dwelling with God. The first is those who live lives of wickedness and sin, they will not dwell with God in heaven. Right? Consider passages like Galatians 5, 19-21, the works of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, where Paul says the unrighteousness, and then he, he levels what unrighteous is. He, Ephesians 5, about the, the unfruitful works of darkness. Those passages and others like them, they give these lists of sin. Very common sin, common in their day, common in our day. And then at the end of all of them, they say something like, those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Or in Ephesians' case, it says, do not be deceived that the wrath of God cometh on those people who do those things. So, those passages illustrate what David's saying here about those who live in wickedness or live in evil shall not dwell with God. People who live in consistent rebellion against God, live in sin, should not expect to find heaven as their home when this life is over. I cannot say no to God with my life day in and day out and then die and expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Instead, what I should expect to hear is depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Because that's what the Bible says. So that is one part of it. There is another part, I think, of this. And the other idea is dwelling with God on earth, right? The foolish will not stand in thy sight. Uh, and it pictures this sort of relationship with God. The Bible is pretty clear. Sin hurts our relationship with God. So even if I'm a believer, I'm truly saved, I cannot live in sin and in a close relationship with God at the same time. Again, the Bible teaches this over and over again. James 4.4 4 says that those who, who desire to be the friend of the world make themselves the enemies of God and he addresses them as adulterers and adulteresses. It is spiritual adultery to want to be married to God or be in a relationship with God and then seek to do that which he hates. Or we could look at 1 John 1. 5 through 7, where we can't, we're told we cannot walk with God in the light and in the darkness of sin at the same time. In fact, John will go so far as to say if we claim to be walking with God and yet we're living in the darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. Or we could look at Amos, which says, How can two walk together unless they be agreed? And all of these are teaching the same idea. God is walking one way. And that way is holy. That way is righteous. That way is pure. And sin is in a different direction. And I can't walk left and right at the same time. No more can I walk with God and in sin at the same time. Sin will always have a harmful impact on our relationship with God. Sin hurts our relationship with God at every level. 
Sin hinders our prayers. Sin keeps us from walking with Jesus. Sin occupies our hearts. Sin hardens our hearts. Sin affects our minds. There is no aspect of our spiritual lives which is not affected negatively by sin. This is why we must guard our lives carefully. The world is sinful. The world is morally lax, to say the least. We are not to be like the world. And the danger of living in the world in which we live is not in jumping headlong into sin. I I have never in my life seen someone who was truly a fully devoted follower of Jesus go from pursuing holiness and faithfulness to Jesus and headlong into sin in the next day. Instead, it is a little compromise here and a little slack there and a little bit this way and a little bit that way. And before long, these little sins that we're justifying, that we're excusing, that we're coming up with these justifications for, they are slowly pushing Jesus out of our lives. They're slowly pushing us far and farther away from him. And in the end, our, our relationship is damaged or, or non-existent. Even. I think one of the, the greatest examples of this is King Saul in the Old Testament. You know, when King Saul comes on the scene, he's not a bad guy. He, he, he wants to serve his dad. He's looking for his dad's missing animals. He knows that the prophet has answers. He's, he doesn't even want to be king. Who, who am I? I mean, he, he does not want... What is thrust upon him. But he accepts it. When it's given. And at first there are these people. Who push back and like. We don't want Saul to reign over us. And followers of Saul are like. Well let's take those dudes out and kill them. Saul wins a victory. These people said that let's kill them. And Saul's like no no. God forbid we should do something along those lines. And he goes from from there. To towards the end of his life, he has all the priests of God and their families killed, but one. He consults a medium or to call up the dead spirit of Samuel to give him guidance because God has departed from him. How did he get from that man who was initially called to the one who was going to witches and having priests killed? How did he get there? A little compromise here, a little step there. A little bit here and a little bit there. And over time, the little bit adds up. We have to guard our lives carefully. If we want to be with God, we must guard our lives carefully. And again, the purpose of prayer is not primarily to get things from God, but to be with God. And if we want to be with God in that time, to be with God in our lives. We must guard our lives carefully. Thirdly, seek and follow God's will diligently. David explains in verses 7 and 8 that he is, or he explains in verse 7, but as for me, and what he's saying is, what was happening in verse 4, 5, and 6, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to walk in that way. I'm not going to live in that way. What I'm going to do, I'm going to come into your house and I'm going to worship towards your temple. I'm going to live in the fear of the Lord. And I am going to seek you to lead me in my life. 
as David is building towards this, he doesn't extol his own virtues. Right? I, I'm going to come in the multitude of thy mercies. David understands God doesn't owe him anything. David understands he has not been a perfect man and God is never in his debt. He gets to come only because of the great mercies of God. And he is going to rejoice in that. And he is going to come to God in, his own, in God's mercy. And he is going to seek God to lead him in his life. But notice how he wants God to lead him. Lead me, O Lord, in verse 8, in thy righteousness. He wants God to lead him in the paths of righteousness. Right? He, he doesn't want God to lead him in how to get away with sin or anything like that. He wants to go in a path that is the right path. And one of the reasons he wants to is because of his enemies. David has many enemies. Now the way David describes these enemies to me makes me think these are not the kind of enemies who are going to put on armor, take up a sword, and charge David and try to take him out. Because look at what David says. There's no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wicked. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. And then he prays for God to destroy them and make them fall by their own counsel because God, they have rebelled against God. The picture seems to be of people who would pretend to be David's friends. They flatter they would butter David up. Right? So perhaps David is thinking of people who would say to him things like, well, David, you're the king. Surely God understands the king. You, have, you can do these things. I mean, surely a king isn't held to the same standard as the common folks, right, David? Surely you can do it. Right? They're saying good things. They're trying to flatter David, but in the end their goal is to see David destroyed. They want David brought low. They're... Seemingly giving him bad advice, bad counsel, wicked counsel, that if David were to follow, it would lead him astray. I think the flattery may be a key part of it, because if someone were to just come up and just to any of us and be like, go do this terrible thing, we would be like, well, no, that's terrible. I would never do that. But if they spent time buttering us up, gosh, you're the smartest person I've ever met. You, you're so attractive. I mean, surely someone as attractive as you, you're, you, you work so hard, you deserve more than what you're being paid. You, I mean, all of these things. And, and over time, if we're not careful, we're like, you're right. I am awesome. I do deserve whatever this is. And we go off in the direction they're leading us. So David prays for God to lead him in the paths of righteousness because there are liars around who are saying wicked things that are trying to flatter him and lead him astray. David's desire is to know and to do God's will. Now, God absolutely desires to guide us in our life, to show us the paths of righteousness in which we should walk in. When we look at Scripture, the idea is never... Can God guide us or, or will God guide us? The answer to those questions is always a resounding yes. The question is, am I going to follow God's guidance? I really think that is the greatest issue with following God's will diligently. It's not that it's not clear. 
It's not that the Spirit won't apply it and lead us. I think it's that we aren't committed to doing God's will. What we want, I think, a lot of times is we have an idea. Here's the things that, you know, the options I have. And I'm leaning this way and I've got advice that leans me over here. God, what do you say? And then God would give us his advice. He would give us his guidance. And we would say, okay, so God says this. And my heart leans here and my friends say there. We want, to, we want God to give us guidance for consideration. Not just immediate application. And that's not the way God works. God isn't, He isn't dear Abby. He isn't our counselor friend who gives us advice and lets us weigh it against others. If God says this is the path to go on, God tells us that because that is the path to go on. And and His expectation from us is that we would say, yes, Lord. And we would move out in that direction no matter what that was. So I think the greatest hindrance to our receiving direct guidance from God, not His unwillingness to speak or His unwillingness to lead, it is our unwillingness to just take off and move out. Think of, think of Isaiah. Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? For what? To do what? Isaiah didn't know, but here am I. Send me. He received his guidance. I think when we come to God with a God, I, I want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to go wherever you want me to go. I want to live however you want me to live. I want to say whatever you want me to say. I mean, I, whatever you guide me, whatever you show me, whatever you say to me, that I will do without question, without hesitation. I'm gone. I believe we will receive guidance from God Every single time. And we can test to see it's of God because God will always lead us in the paths of righteousness. So God will never lead us to sin. God will never lead us to do something contrary to what is revealed in His Word. So we can say, okay, this is, I feel God's leading me here. It's consistent with this. I'm going. We say, well, I really think God might be leading me here And it's absolutely contrary to God's word. We can say beyond a shadow of a doubt. That is not God. Not once. Not ever. Never is that God. When we are not actively seeking God. Following his guidance. We may well get off track. Because there is no shortage. Of people. Who is no faithfulness in their mouth whose inward part is wickedness, their throats are an open sepulcher, and they flatter with their tongues. There is no shortage of people like that in our lives. And their advice, their guidance, their counsel, will always lead us astray. And so we need to seek God. So we do not make decisions which would hurt our relationship with Him. And then finally, rejoice in God Constantly. Verse 11, but let all those that their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also love thy name. Let them that love thy name be joyful in thee, for thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous with favor that will compass him as with a shield. And part of what I like about this is in David's mind, there is great joy in following God. 
But for David, these things, spending time with God, guarding his life, seeking and following God's will diligently, that wasn't the path to misery. That wasn't the path to a a life that just stunk. That wasn't the path that led to the end of joy and the end of pleasure. In David's mind, this was the path. This was the way to go. Joy was found in following God in this direction. Now David, he knew whatever stage of David's life the psalm was written, David knew life was hard. David knew what it was to have persecution. He knew what it was to have difficulties. He knew what it was to have life be hard. And yet David still said, time with God, a guarded life, seeking and following God's will, is still the path to joy. Because joy from the Lord is not dependent on our circumstances. Because God Himself is the joy. And He is the cause of our rejoicing. I think it's very similar to what Paul said in Philippians 4, 4 about rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That word rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in Jesus. No matter what the circumstances are in our life, there's always a reason for the disciple of Jesus to rejoice even when the circumstances are quite terrible. But it does require us to think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I mean, just take a second and think about who Jesus is. He, is. he is God who took on human flesh and came to earth for us. And in the process of that, he, he died for our sins. He made it possible for us to be brought into a right relationship with God the Father. Through Jesus, we've been adopted as the sons of God and the daughters of God. Jesus loves us with an unconditional and undying love. Jesus gives us new life. Jesus makes us righteous. Jesus makes it so we can know God and be with God. Jesus gives us victory over the penalty, the power, and someday the very presence of sin. Jesus gives us eternal life. Jesus gives us hope. We will one day go to a place where there is no more sorrow, suffering, pain, death, or even tears. Jesus goes with us through life, and He never ever leaves us nor forsakes us. That's just a... A summary list of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Think about that. Again, it goes back to who He is though. Any person who did all of that for us would be amazing. But to know that the high and the holy God that we rebelled against, that we sinned against, that we said, I want none of you in your ways. He did that. He came up with that. It was His idea. It was His will to do it for us. My goodness. How much joy is there in that regardless? No other religion has a God like that. One of my favorite pastors is a fellow by the name of David Platt. He's gone to India several times to minister. He was visiting with some Hindu spiritual leaders one day, and they were trying to explain to him that all religions were essentially the same. That God's at the top of the mountain, people are at the bottom, and we're all just trying to work our way up. And some work their way up on this side, and some work their way up on that side, and some over here, and some over there. And the path is difficult, and we stumble along the way, but we're all going in the same direction. Platt asked the guy, said, but what if God came down off the mountain came to where we were and picked us up and carried us to the top of the mountain. 
And they said, Oof, that would be something indeed. And he says, and that is Christianity. God did not sit at the top of the mountain and say, find your way to me. God came down and found us and led us and carries us up the mountain. Oh man, there, there is always joy in Jesus. Doesn't mean life's not hard. Doesn't mean things aren't terrible. They, they are. But what's true from Jesus is always true. And if we make a point, especially starting in the good times, to think on that, to dwell on that, to meditate on that, to, to let that stir joy within us, then in the hard times, in the difficult times, we can do it more naturally and more easily. And we can say, like Paul, as suffering, yet always rejoicing. That is Available to us through Christ. Our privilege of being able to have real access and fellowship with God. Is something we should cherish. Something we should make a priority in our lives. We should do whatever it takes to ensure nothing keeps us from being with God. Take some time this week. And ask God. To show you if you're falling short in any of these areas. Are you spending time with Him? Am I spending time with Him? Are we guarding our lives carefully? Are we seeking and following God's will? Are we rejoicing in who He is and what He's done? God will show us. He will lead us along the best path for our lives. Let's trust that and let's seek Him for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You tonight. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We, I know, Lord, no matter what, we don't fully appreciate how amazing You are. Part of that, I think, is just our limited minds. We, if you're the size of the ocean and our minds are the size of a Coke can, we'll just never get all of it in there, Lord. There will always be more of you to discover, more of you to be awed by. Stir us, O oh God. Stir us to cherish the fact we have an opening where we can come to you and be with you and truly be with you. It's not, it's not just religious jargon. That's not just something we say, but it's not real. You're really with us. You're really present in that time. Psalms often speak of you like bowing down to listen as we pray. Give us a sort of vision of that time with you. Let us take it very seriously. Let us be very, very careful in how we live our lives. The decisions we make, the things we do. Let us seek your will and follow your will in all things. And oh God... Open our minds and our hearts so we can better rejoice who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.